0: The book of Revelation, the second easiest book in the Bible to find after Genesis. (laughs) Genesis being the first, Revelation being the last book. And uh, so, pretty easy to find. It's actually the only New Testament book of prophecy. The Old Testament has 17 books of prophecy, But the New Testament just won, the book of Revelation. It's the only book in the Bible that says there's a special blessing if you study out this book. It says read me. I'm special. I'll bless you if you take part in reading and hearing this word. You know, when you go to school, you discover that sometimes in the problems you have, maybe say you're in your English class and you're asked these questions or in a history class you're asked these questions. If you look to the very back of the book, they have the answers. Chapter one, answer one, answer two, answer three. And you say, why did I struggle so much when all the answers were in the back of the book? Well, the book of Revelation's like that. There's answers a lot of questions. In the back of the book, the final book of the Bible here in the book of Revelation. Most people are very excited to get into the book of Revelation. It's like, woohoo, this is awesome. But there are some other people that are apprehensive. Even maybe a little bit on the afraid side. Why is that? One, is they're afraid they won't understand it. They've tried to read it before and it was just too bizarre. They didn't get it. Well, The book of Revelation is the 66th book of the Bible, and it does have the presupposition that you know the 65 books before it. A matter of fact, there's 404 verses in the book of Revelation, and 278 of those 404 verses are quotes or allusions to quotes out of the Old Testament. In other words, you need to know Psalms, Daniel, Zechariah, Genesis, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and especially Joel, the most quoted of the Old Testament books in the book of Revelation. 500 references, over 500 references to other parts of the Bible. Guys, 70% of the book of Revelation is simply quoting other parts of the Bible. So 70% of the book of Revelation will be understood if you understand the 65 books of the Bible before it. You know, it was pretty crazy this last year and a half. We studied the minor prophets. We studied the major prophets. And both of them are tough stuff to study. And it finally dawned on me when I began to read the book of Revelation here and study, prepare to teach for it. That's why the Lord had us do it. He was preparing us for the book of Revelation. And uh, it was a wild and crazy time doing the minor prophets in the morning and the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, in the evening study. But it was powerful. And it was a very profitable season, uh, to say the least. And uh, the profit of that profitable season is going to go right on as we study the book of Revelation. So hopefully we're quite prepared for the task in front of us. Some are afraid to read the book of Revelation because they're afraid it's going to provoke controversy. You have pre-trib and most-trib and mid-trib and post-trib and amillennial. And you have all these different types of uh, ideas that come on prophecy, and especially out of the book of Revelation. There's four basic views to interpreting or to approach and understanding the book of Revelation. The first view is called the preterist view. And it basically says, the the first part of that word uh, pater, which means the past. It basically says that all everything you read in the book of Revelation all applied to John and his time in writing the book. It only applies to the first century Christians. And so all of the other things that you see are sort of symbolisms, typologies that apply sort of in a code, if you would, the Christians understood in that first century. So the, the Romans that were persecuting them wouldn't understand it, but yet they got it. The second view it's what's called the historical view, and it's sort of similar. It says it's in the past, but not just for the first century. It's sort of for the whole church age, uh, even up to today. But it is not talking about some future holocaust, some future event. It's not referring to that. And uh, with that, you get a lot of strange uh, interpretations because you have the antichrist you have the mark 666 you have all of these cataclysmic events happening and they have to attribute it during the time uh, of the past history so you know in many uh, cases the, during the time of the reformation uh, you have the pope is the antichrist and so forth and and uh, and martin luther is a symbol of this angel and and these types of things and, uh, and then right on up Uh, To the present, they continue to attribute various things to history that's either in the past or going on now. Then thirdly, you have what's called one of three things, the poetic or the allegorical or the spiritual view. And this basically says, just look at the Bible mystically, look at Revelation mystically, and it'll have a special message for you, sort of like the crystal ball effect. And that's a very dangerous way to look at the Bible. You hear people sometimes say, ah, you can make the Bible say anything you want. If you do it this way, if you just say, well, what's it speak to me today? You know, the uh, 144,000 Jews means this to me. Um, I'm supposed to play the lottery because I'm going to win $144,000 million today or whatever. Uh, just whatever it speaks to me. That's a, that's a scary way. The fourth one, which I adopt, which would be called the futurist view, or I like better, the literal view. And that simply says that what it says is what it says. And it, in chapter 4, it says, Meta which means after these things, when it talks about the seven churches, and then you have a clear seven-year tribulation period. So what's it really mean, the seven-year tribulation period? It means there's seven years of tribulation. When it says uh, the oceans were destroyed, what's it mean? <laughs> The oceans were destroyed. When it says 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe, what's 144,000 Jews? That's exactly what it is. Uh, A a thousand-year millennial reign, what is a thousand-year millennial reign? It's exactly that. And so what you see is what you read. Now, that's not to say that when you look at any literature, whatever the literature is, you have to understand that they can use various types of literary genre or literary types. For example, when you look at the Gospels, most people take that as a historical fact. So if Jesus was sitting by the Sea of Galilee teaching, he was by the Sea of Galilee teaching. They don't try to spiritualize that to be something else. But yet you see Jesus using, for example, hyperboles. Hyperboles, an obvious exaggeration. In other words, Uh, Jesus says it's better to pluck out your right eye or cut off your right hand than to go into hell's fire. Now, did he literally mean to say cut off your hand? Of course not. He's trying to give you an emotional understanding with an obvious exaggeration to realize the importance of what he's saying. Just like if I were to say, how many people were at the beach over the 4th of July weekend? And you said, oh, a billion people. Right. You're such a liar. One-fifth of the world's population was in San Diego. Right, you know. Nobody expected you to really believe one billion people. You simply gave a hyperbole, an obvious exaggeration, to give a sense of the enormity of how packed the beaches were. And so Jesus said it'd be better to put a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the ocean and drown yourself than to stumble one of these little children. He doesn't mean to commit suicide. He's not encouraging that. matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that that's not something that God would encourage. And so you have uh, metaphors, you have hyperboles, you have symbolism. Now, what do I mean in that? I don't mean that you can symbolize everything, so you see this demonic creature and say, oh, that's a helicopter, you know, and an angel flying through space is a a nuclear bomb, and those kind of things. No, that is not uh, symbolism. We have in the book of Revelation, 22 times it says like. In other words, the appearance of. 65 times he says it is as. So we do this quite often when we're talking about things. We just give, we tell you what the appearance is. For example, if you were to read in the newspaper, it says the sun is going to come up or the sun is going to go down. Does the sun really come up or does the sun really go down? We know scientifically it does not do that. The earth is rotating and it's in an orb around the sun and it gives an appearance as if or it is like as if the sun is setting and the sun uh, is rising. But we know that's not happening. But yet we use those kind of words to explain it. So when John says Jesus' feet Whereas a bernese bronze, as if they were in the fire, we don't say, cool, when we get to heaven, Jesus has brass legs. We know Jesus doesn't have brass legs. And it's like he's always walking around in the fire, you know, they're all hot. Don't touch his legs, whatever you do when you get to heaven. Um, We understand that he's saying, I mean, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, how can I give earth words and explain something heavenly. I can't do it. And so here he's basically ta- taking this heavenly scene and as if the appearance would be, the best way I can describe it is this. Um, <clears throat> but again, it's, it's similar in its action or its quality or its appearance. And again, it's a, it's a usage within literature that we all take part of. Some people are apprehensive or a little afraid to look at the revelation because it speaks of judgment. Boy, all that fiery judgment stuff. It scares me. Well, you know what? There's a way to fix that. Get born again. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Yes. Amen. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans eight one it says, There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You want to be able to read the book of Revelation without fear? Submit your life to Christ. If you're a backslidden Christian, start walking according to the Spirit. Quit walking according to the flesh. And you won't have that sense of fear, of judgment, or condemnation. Any longer, because God did not appoint us to wrath. We're reading about something that's going to happen to the unbelieving and rebellious world, not something that's going to happen to believers. And number four, some people are apprehensive because it talks about the end of the world. And that's a sad thing. How many guys hate to say goodbye? I hate goodbyes. I'll do anything not to say goodbye. I just start crying and I get all humiliated and, you know... And so we're, we're looking at a picture of saying goodbye to planet earth. And as we look at the book of Revelation, we are looking at earth not as we have known it. There's going to be a rapture of the church, Revelation 4, Metatata, and after these things. And the earth begins to go through in a cataclysmic events. Because of the wrath of God's judgment being poured upon this rebellious world also... Because man's rejecting the Antichrist, who's trying to force himself as God to be worshiped on the people, and a big percentage of the people, although they're not submitted to God, they will not be submitted to the Antichrist either. And he declares war, and the whole world is caught in the middle of a horrible, horrible scene. But yet, it's interesting if you compare and you realize when we read the book of Revelation, we have a completed Bible. And you realize that the book of Revelation is really not saying goodbye to earth. It's saying hello to a new heaven and a new earth. And yet that there has to be the final chapter. How many of you guys would like to read a murder mystery book with no final chapter? And who did it? I don't know. But, you know, first 11 chapters are pretty good, but I just, I'm left hanging. We wouldn't want that. And God doesn't leave us hanging, he completes the he completes the book. For example, in Genesis it presents the beginning, Revelation presents the end. Genesis the earth was created, the earth in Revelation the earth it passes away. In Genesis the creation of the heavens and the earth, in Revelation is the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. In Genesis the sun was to govern the day, in Revelation there is no need of sun. In Genesis, darkness was called night. In Revelation, there is no night there. In Genesis, the waters were called seas. In Revelation, there is no more sea. In Genesis, the sun, the moon, and stars were for the earth's government. In Revelation, these same heavenly bodies are for the earth's judgment. In Genesis, the devil is shown to us for the first time. In the book of Revelation, the devil is dealt with for the last time, never to be seen again. In Genesis, was Satan's first rebellion, and Revelation is Satan's last rebellion. In Genesis, the conflict between Christ and Satan, and Satan's doom is pronounced. In Revelation, Satan's doom is executed. In Genesis, Satan uttered the first lie. In Revelation, nothing that makes a lie enters into the city, so you'll never hear another lie. In Genesis, was the entrance of sin, and Revelation is the exodus of sin. In Genesis, man has his beginning in the paradise and lost it. In Revelation, man regains his entrance into paradise and will keep it forever. In Genesis, man lost his right to the tree of life because of his disobedience. In Revelation, we regain that tree of life forever. In Genesis, man's first rebelled against God. In Revelation, man's rebellion comes to an end. In Genesis, physical death is introduced In Revelation, physical death will be no more. In Genesis, you see the beginning of the curse. In Revelation, the curse is lifted and man is never under a curse again. In Genesis, fellowship with God is severed and lost. In Revelation, fellowship with God is regained to never be lost again. In Genesis, man was driven from God's face. And in Revelation, men see his face in glory. In Genesis was the beginning of the sorrow and suffering. In Revelation, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. In Genesis, a bride is brought to Adam. In Revelation, the bride is prepared for the final Adam, Christ. In Genesis was the marriage of the first Adam, and Revelation is the marriage to the last Adam. Romans 5 talks about Jesus as the last Adam. In Genesis, the first Adam reigns on the earth. In Revelation, the last Adam reigns in glory. In Genesis, we saw man's city, Babylon, being built. In Revelation, or Genesis 11 there, remember, God scattered. In the Revelation, we see man's city, Babylon, the same city, destroyed. And God's city, the New Jerusalem, brought into view. In Genesis, believers are looking for a city. In Revelation, the holy city is presented in glory. In Genesis, where is the lamb? Remember, Isaac says, there's the wood, there's the fire, but where is the lamb to offer as a sacrifice? In Revelation, the lamb reigns. Interesting, the very last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise. The very last chapter of the Old Testament says, one day you're going to see the Son of Righteousness, the title for Jesus Christ, He Shall Arise. The very last chapter of the book of the Bible says this, I, Jesus, who sent my, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches, I am the root of the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. Jesus is that Son of Righteousness that arises. I could go on. I mean, the list just sort of keeps going on and on. When you realize the beginning and how Revelation is clearly the end. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the book of Revelation here. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, notice here, this does not say Revelations, plural. You hear people say that. Well, I read in Revelations. No. Revelation. One Revelation. Revelation. This is not the revelation of the Antichrist or God's judgment or calamity that comes on the earth or the mystery Babylon that's destroyed. This is one revelation. And what is the revelation of, guys? Jesus Christ. This book is about Jesus. The word revelation is our translation from the Greek. The Greek word is the word apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. But you hear men and and movies named and stuff, it makes it sound like it means cataclysm or something. Revelation, apocalypse doesn't mean cataclysm, doesn't mean destruction. Apocalypse simply means the unveiling. In other words, if I was an artist and I had built this statue and up in my attic I've been working for a couple years and nobody knows quite what I'm doing, and I finally say, I'm going to show you my great work of art. And so we all dress up in tuxedos and eat caviar and... And then finally, you show up and and there is this giant blanket covering this something. And I talk a little bit about it and tell about my inspiration. And then finally I say, and here it is. And I pull off the big giant blanket. And there you ooh and ah as you see my great work of art. That's what this word means. You see, the first time we saw Christ, he came as a humble servant on this planet. He came as the lamb to be slain, and he died. And even after he rose again, they saw him as they had saw him before he raised from the dead, with scars and and holes in his hands and his brow and and his side and so forth. But they had not yet seen him in his resurrected state, as he truly would be for all of eternity. And so now we're going to see Jesus for who he really, really is." no longer veiled, but unveiled, revealed unto us. It says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We once knew Christ according to the flesh, but now we know him thus no longer. You know what this world needs more than anything else? A revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know what you need? You know what I need? The same experience John had when he saw Jesus. He was completely undone. We need that experience of seeing Jesus. And so if you walk away from the book of Revelation saying, Ooh, let me tell you about the Mark 666. Or let me tell you about the Antichrist. Let me tell you. You've missed it. You should walk away enamored, in love with a fresh picture of Jesus. You see, all the Bible speaks of Jesus. I love that story in Acts 8, where Philip is told to go and join the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. And and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm reading Isaiah 53 here. I'm reading the Bible. He says, do you understand this? And, And he said, how can I understand it? Somebody explains it to him. And it says, Philip went from that scripture and preached to him Christ. Every chapter of the Bible speaks of Jesus. And we come here in the book of Revelation, and this book speaks of Jesus. And so when we look at the Bible, we're discovering the nature of God. So when we look at how God dealt with Adam and Eve, or Abraham, or David, or the children of Israel, or whoever it was, we learn of Him. We learn his heart, we learn his mind, we learn his attitudes, we learn his likes, we learn his dislikes, we learn about him. And our God is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. And so he's saying, I'm going to give you a picture of Jesus, an unveiling of who he really is. So there is a picture of Christ that we have not yet known until we come now to this final book of the Bible where the Curtain is pulled back and we see Jesus for who he truly is. There are more titles of Jesus in the book of Revelation than in the rest of the Bible combined. Matter of fact, today I was going to just at this point say, let's just look at the names of Jesus in Revelation. 14 pages of notes later. I usually have about six is a good 50 minutes of preaching and I can make that 55 easily. And uh, 14 pages, and I realize that this is a task that uh, cannot be done. But we see Jesus, his name mentioned 14 times, Christ 11 times. We see him as a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. He is the Almighty. He's the Son of Man. He's the son of God. He's the one who lives and was dead. And behold, he lives again forevermore. He's the one who holds the keys of Hades and death. He is the amen. He is the faithful and the true witness. He's the beginning of the creation of God. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. 28 times he's mentioned to be the lamb of God. He's the Lord God almighty. I love that one. You see the lamb as though he had been slain upon the throne. And every, all the angels and all the saints, they fall before him, begin to worship him. And they begin to say, Great and marvelous are your works. O Lord God Almighty. Remember in Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What? Mighty God The Son, Jesus Christ, is the mighty God. He's also called the King of the Saints. He's called the Word of God. He's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Root and the Offspring of David, the Bride and Morning Star. Wow, those are just some of the titles of Revelation. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus humbled himself and he died for us while we were wicked, while we were sinners. And for this reason, God, it says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's exactly what we see in this unveiling. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is upon the throne, and the angels have to go prostrate. All the saints have to go prostrate. They take their crown. They throw it before Him, and they all worship the Lamb forever and ever, who is worthy all praise and all honor and all glory, that every niche about every tongue confess, He is Lord. In Romans chapter 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Then submit your life to him. And to come to understand, yes, you are Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the King of the saints. That's us, the believers. And I submit myself unto you, O King, O the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you will do that, you will be saved. And he goes on there in Revelation. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. The Father has given this revelation unto the Son. Remember Jesus said in the end times, no man knows the day or the hour except what? The Father only. In a mystery, although we have one God, he's in three persons. And for some reason, the Father knows concerning the coming of, the, the coming of his Son. And the Son in sort of a, a humorous, interesting way, because it also says that Jesus knows all things. Yet he has to receive this from the Father, and then from the Father he gives it to us. Turn, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, and we're going to look at a number of verses in the Gospel of John, so lick your fingers and get ready to look through several verses here. In John chapter 3, verse 35, it says, The Father loves the Son and has given, what? All things into his hand. Chapter 5, verse 20. John chapter 5, verse 20. Love to hear those sea of pages. Beautiful sound. The Father loves the Son and shows him what? All things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. And that's something you do when you look at the book of Revelation. You marvel. In John chapter 7, verse 16. And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine. But his who sent me. John 8:28. Jesus said to them, "When you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. As the Father taught me, I speak these things." John 12, verse 49. <clears throat> the Gospel of John, 12:49. For I have spoken on my own authority, for I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Chapter 14, verse 10. Gospel of John, 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father in me? The works that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Verse 24 there, John 14, 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. The words which you hear is is not mine, but the Father who sent me. John 16, the last one we're going to look at here, verse 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you. We sure do. Found that one out, didn't we? But you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into what? All truth. The Lord didn't hold back on us, guys. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. For he will tell you things to come. And that's exactly what he does in the book of Revelation, doesn't he? Tells us of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. So Jesus isn't saying, I'm not receiving it from the Father, but he receives it from the Father. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, takes it and reveals it unto us. Well, back in the book of Revelation, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, gave to Jesus. Why? To show to his servants. Guys, Jesus has spoken the book of Revelation to show to you, to show to me, us who are believers, his servants, things which must shortly take place. Now, we do know that God's time of a uh, or economy of time is different than our economy. In Second Peter chapter three verse eight and nine, you know it very well. To the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and what a thousand years is as a day. And so you say, "Wow." Shortly come to pass, it's been 2,000 years since John wrote, you know, since 95 A.D., almost 2,000 years. Well, it's only been a couple of days. What's the big deal? But in essence, this term shortly takes place, I believe is not talking about the distance of time between when the book was written to when these things take place. But once they begin to take place, it's going to happen quickly. And that's in essence what it's saying, that once the prophecies of this book begin, hold on, because it's going to be very, very quick. In other words, you need to get prepared ahead of time. You know, uh, the idea of when to learn about marriage is when you're still single. You know, you have the people say, "Okay, I've been married two years now. My wife is miserable. Okay, I'm ready to learn about marriage. It's like, well, you know, it would have been good to have done that before you got married. Uh, In the same way with having kids, you know, my kid's five years old, he's completely out of control, what do I need to know here? You know, it's good to learn how to be a parent beforehand. In the same way, he's saying, once it starts, all hell's going to be breaking loose, all heaven's going to be breaking loose, both. And to to try to learn at the same time these things are happening, it's not going to be a good idea. They're going to be swiftly happening. So be prepared, know them in advance, know them ahead of time. In Revelation two five, Jesus says, "I will come to you quickly." In Revelation twenty two seven, I am coming quickly. In Revelation twenty two twelve, I am coming quickly. In Revelation twenty two twenty, surely I come quickly. And so, definitely within that, although these things are going to happen, in a, it's just going to happen immediately in that seven year period, it's going to be a very quick seven years. The Lord is saying, right behind that, I will come quickly. Indeed, He does. At the end of the seven year period, in Daniel twelve, He tells us the very Day, that the Lord is going to return. And um, so he is going to come quickly at the end of these things. And then he said, I, and he sent and signified it. This is interesting, this word signified or literally to sign or also to model. The actual Greek word is what we get our word architect from. And the concept here is like uh, when an architect is, is designing this huge building, what does the architect do? He first builds what? A model. So you can see it. It's a, it's a miniaturized model. And sometimes you can take the building apart and look inside it and so forth. And now with computers, you can get 3D imagery and you can make a model of it. And this is what he's saying. I'm actually going to I'm going to take John, I'm going to model this whole thing for him. So he's actually going to get a view of what it's actually going to be like. I'm going to give it a model. In Hosea 12.10, God says, I have spoken by the prophets in similitudes. This is the same concept, a model, a type, uh, an analogy, a replica, if you would. So we see this throughout the Bible. Abraham was a model, a replica of a father willingly giving his son as a sacrifice on the same spot where Jesus later was offered as a sacrifice. Now, he knew he wasn't going to kill his son because in Hebrews it said, God had already said through Isaac, your descendants shall be. So he knew Isaac would live. Even if he had gone ahead and stabbed Isaac, it says he knew that God would raise him from the dead. So although God was telling him to offer his son as a sacrifice, he knew that his son would be coming with him. As a matter of fact, he tells his servants as he's going up to Mount Moriah, he says, me and the lad will return. He knew that he was not going to have a dead son up there on top of that mountain, but have a living son returning with him. And in Hebrews, it plainly says, for he saw, Abraham knew, he understood what God was doing, that this was a type of the nether sacrifice that God would be giving of his only begotten son. And uh, so uh, Ruth is, is a picture of uh, the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, as he redeems Ruth. And sometimes there's cultural things you need to understand to understand the Bible. For example, in that instance, he needed this guy's shoe. Why did Boaz need the guy's shoe? Well, you've got to understand the culture and how all the kinsman redeemer works with the Jewish system. And, uh, and so it's a signal. It's a sign. It's a model. It's an image then I'm going to give of the things to come. So if you were up in a big giant blimp overlooking the Rose Parade, you could see the whole picture, couldn't you? You could see where the bands are taking their first step as they begin the parade. You could see the floats as they're going off, exiting, all in one picture. And this is our God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he's taking John down, and the blimp is lowering, and he's, ascending on one block of the rose parade to observe one block of it and he's taking him to this seven-year tribulation period and he's saying get out of the blimp and take a walk and there he is actually taking a look at the things to come and again if you understand the old testament you'll understand the description of the things john is talking about there's numerology uh, which is very interesting we're going to get into that But then also, he says there, he's going to reveal it, as we learned in John 16, not only by the Holy Spirit, but also he's going to do it by his angel. We find in the book of Revelation angels all over the place. Matter of fact, 74 times angels are in the role of ministering unto John and in the various scenes. 74 times, which is radical when you realize the whole New Testament Only has a hundred and four in the rest of the New Testament outside of Revelation. There's only a mention of a hundred and four times the mention of angels. And uh, we see in Revelation 5 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Uh, Revelation 7 2, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. In Revelation 7, I saw all the angels, they stood around the throne and they began to worship. In Revelation 19, John is overwhelmed as he sees the married supper of the Lamb, and he bows down and starts worshiping, and this angel says, Get up! Don't do this! Worship God only! In Revelation 22, John gets overwhelmed again and does the same thing, and he rebukes him again, saying, Do not do this. I'm a fellow servant with you. I'm your brethren. Worship God. Now, I point that out because of a very important point. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, as well as in the New Testament, the word for angel is the same word for messenger. Now, when they translated the old King James Bible, they chose to use the word angel for that particular Hebrew word in almost every case, which causes things sometimes to be a bit confusing, especially when it's a messenger, it's not an angel. Because in some instances it is Jesus Himself bringing the message. It's not an angel, but Jesus is the messenger. He is the message. Right in the beginning was what the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the messenger. And, but what happens is the Jehovah Witnesses say, "Ah, we clearly see that that is Jesus in the Old Testament, and the." Word, English word that's being used there is angel, so Jesus must be an angel. Aha, Jesus is Michael the archangel, they say. Which is nuts. And when you come to the book of Revelation, you clearly see Jesus. It is Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And all over the place, they're worshiping Him. The angels are worshiping. The saints are worshiping Him. And He receives all of their worship. But then when you come to the angel, he says, "Uh uh-uh, no how, no way, Jose, this isn't right. You cannot worship me. Clearly signifying that Jesus is the Son of God. He is no angel. Um, He is an angel. I mean, when I say he is no angel, I don't mean his nature isn't great. He's got a great nature, but he is not an angel. Uh, Anyway, can't get out of that one. (laughs) Let's go to verse 2 here. We're cooking now. Revelation 1, verse 2. It says, "Who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all the things that he saw. He bore witness to the word of God. John realized this is the word of God. He's making it clear. Hey, guys, this isn't my thought. This isn't my impression. This isn't the pizza I ate last night. This is God himself speaking and what I'm writing is the word of God. A matter of fact, in Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, he says, change one word of this. One word. And all the plagues that you read are going to come upon you. Take the seven year tribulation period and an instant, take all that wrath and put it upon your own head. If you change one word of this. And so he understood this is the word of God and it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. A testimony, a witness. If you had a witness on a stand in the court, tell me what you know. Jesus is the witness. It's from him. Guys, do you get it? This is to you. As we study this book, Jesus wants to speak to you. Several times he's going to say, he who has ears to hear what? Let him hear. John is saying, guys, this is the word of God, the living word of God. And Jesus wants to speak it unto you. Jesus wants to breathe it unto you. And as you go to the word, realize the Lord is speaking to you. Isn't that awesome? Now, all the Bible is that way, isn't it? All scripture, it says in 2 Timothy, is inspired of God. All scripture. But yet in a special way, this is the Lord's final word to man. This is the final Logos, the final God-breathed message unto man to this planet. And he says, get it. This is straight from Jesus Christ to you, his servants, to all things. In other words, the Lord's not holding us back. And John, he says, I call you friends. And everything the Father showed me, I have shared everything with you. And here he's saying it again. The testimony of Jesus to all things And again, John said that he saw. Forty-nine times in this book, John says, I saw this. Twenty-eight times he says, I heard this. So again, this is not John's impression of what it seemed like. Of Well, I'll give it my best shot. This is the word of God. He saw it. He heard it. He was there. He experienced it. And in verse 3, as we finish up today... Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. This is the only book of the Bible that says, read me, I'm special, and I'll give you a special blessing if you do so. Anybody need a special blessing? Okay, you came to the right place because we're going to have it. Part of the reason, I think, is because you've already experienced it this morning. It's tough stuff. This isn't the narrative part of the Bible where, you know, David killed Goliath with a stone and woo, this a great story. We had a great story time this morning. We can all go have some milk and cookies now and It's not that way. In Proverbs chapter 2, it says if you want wisdom, you got to dig for it like a buried treasure. So when you come to the book of Revelation, you've got to roll up your sleeves, get ready to get blisters on your hand, and start digging away. You're going to get sweaty, you're going to get dirty, until we finally hear the clink of the metal on top of that treasure chest. And when we open it up, you know what we're going to discover? Exactly what the Lord said to Abraham. I am your shield, I am your great reward. As we dig and find the unveiling of the book of Revelation... We are going to discover Jesus in a new and a wonderful and a fresh way. And so to those who read it, in Psalms 1, he says the same thing. Those who meditate in God's word day and night are going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bear fruit in their season. Whatever they do will prosper. Boy, is that a pretty radical blessing? Now, if you've tried to read the Bible every day, you know how hard it is. Not because the Bible is not a wonderful book to read. It's because we are in a fallen world in a fallen flesh with a thousand demons waking up with you every morning to make sure you don't read the Bible. And you've got to fight to read the Word, don't you? You've got to focus like on nothing else. Read the newspaper, all the demons will leave you alone. Kick on the morning news, all the demons will leave you alone. You go to your Bible and all of a sudden, all the... Windows of hell open up and they're going to keep you from the Bible because Satan doesn't want you to be strong. He doesn't want you to bear fruit. He wants your leaf to wither. He doesn't want you to prosper in everything you put your hand to. But God desires it and he knows what a battle it is and so he's given such a blessing with all of the Bible. In Joshua chapter 1 he says the same thing. If this word doesn't depart from your mouth, you meditate in it day and night. It says, you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have a good success. So, reading the word or meditating in the word, chewing on the word, and then also hearing it. Now, notice there, the word reads is plural. (laughs) You can't just casually read the book of Revelation and say, Oh, I've read the Bible. You know, you always have people that say, it. well, you know, the Bible says, I've read the Bible. Well, you know what it says in Hezekiah chapter 2, verse 3. Of course I do. Well, that's not a book of the Bible. That's one of the kings. So I know you really haven't read the Bible. And uh, so there's a lot of people that say, i read the whole Bible. I know what the book of Revelation says. Oh, really? Um, here it says reads, plural. So I encourage you to go home and read the whole book of Revelation this week and keep doing it every week while we're studying through it. And then also to those who Hear it. And so, as it's being spoken, as it's being preached, as it's being taught, there's a power in that as well. And then, of course, keeping it. We must be doers of the word, not just hear the words only. For the time is near. The Lord knew there would be a point when people are reading this, and as we read it, we are going to discover it's now. The table's been set. You can smell the bacon in the kitchen. It's frying. We're here. This book is for us probably more than any other time in history. It's always good. There's always been a tension the Lord's coming could be any day. But as we read this book, we're going to discover the Lord's coming is now. In the Gospel of Luke, it tells us you'll know because it'll be Like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. What was Sodom and Gomorrah? It was a society permeated by homosexuality. Guys, that's what we have today throughout the world. And it's going to continue to abound. We should stand in the gap. We should fight it in every way we can. But the Bible makes it clear that a homosexual permeated society is going to win. As perverted and as sick as that is, that's what's going to win. The Bible also says it's going to be like the days of Noah, where they were given and taken in marriage. So a society where marriage is not valued, commitment doesn't mean anything, get a new wife, get a new husband, tired of them, don't love them, they're making me mad and I don't like... That whole concept is going to continue to permeate until in 1 Timothy 4 it says these doctrines of demons, in other words, the teaching of the church, but it's really from Satan himself, is going to say, don't marry at all. It's going to be a high spiritual value, moral, not to marry. You say, how could that ever be? How could it be a high moral value to be homosexual? But a lot of churches are saying that today. Matter of fact, if you don't accept homosexuality, you're evil. Good is evil and evil is good, just like the Bible says. And it says, the Spirit expressly says in the last days, some will depart from the faith. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, for the day will not come unless the falling away, the Greek word is apostasia, comes first. In these last days, guys, God's given us this book of Revelation to prepare ourselves, to wash ourselves, to let the the fiery revelation of Jesus purges of the sin and the sin-soaked, sin-sickened world around us. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Well, he's going to find it here. He's going to find it with us, standing true, standing strong. But the book of Revelation is a very important part. It says the last days in Second Timothy 3 will be perilous times. We've got to get ready, guys. We're going into a battle here. And it's going to be a greater battle every single day. Men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. It it says they're going to be headstrong, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they are going to have a form of godliness. They're going to think they're so right with God, even though they have this life full of the pleasure of the flesh rather than a pleasure of God. Jesus said, therefore, to you, he said to his apostles, and of course, he was speaking to us, be ready, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in a day and an hour you do not know of. And really, as we begin this book today, there is no better way to start the book of Revelation than to be right with God, to have him on the throne of your heart, to have him as the Lord of your life, and you yourself are submitted to his will and his way and his desire. Let's all bow our heads this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we do heed it. We do hear it. We do understand exactly what you're saying to us today. We thank you for the preciousness of this book. And as we've learned so much this morning on how to take this book on, address this book, As we do the rest of the Bible in a literal way, understanding that what it says is what it means. We understand today that you are Lord. And unless you are the Lord of our life, you being Lord is going to be a heavy thing for us in the future, not a blessed thing. You said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Not if you're ready. It's a wonderful thing. You said the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord and though he falls, you'll hold him up with your hand. When we are living a surrendered life to you, to be caught in your hand is a beautiful, wonderful thing. The lambs being carried in the arms of our precious shepherd. As all heads are bowed, nice clothes this morning. If you're here today and you're saying that's me, my life has not been submitted to Christ. Christ. Or maybe you're saying at one time it was, but it hasn't been as of recent. Maybe you're here today for the first time saying, I got it. Jesus loves me. He died for me. He rose again for me. And I need to give my life and surrender to His will and His way. I want to receive Christ today. Or maybe you're here saying, I knew that and I understood that, but the cares of this life... The desire for pleasure over the desire of God has taken control of me. And I've been going through an incredibly difficult time because I've been living a life of the flesh rather than the spirit. And the hand of God is upon me. And I don't want that anymore. I want to surrender my life anew and afresh to Him. Either way, just lift your hands right now. Just say, pray for me. That's me. God bless you. Yes. Many, many hands. Are there any others? Just lift them right now. Just say, that's me. Yes. I give my life afresh to Christ today. I want to surrender to him. Lord, you see these right now that have lifted their hands saying that's them. They need to give their lives to you. Once again, lift your hands up if you would. Yes, there's several of them. Right now where you're sitting, just stand up right now where you're standing, where you're sitting right now. Just stand up. You have lifted your hands. Jesus hung high upon a cross for you boldly. He didn't care what anybody else thought. You can't care what your brother, sister, your friends around you There's a number of others of you that maybe didn't raise your hand, that God's calling you to himself. Your pride, your stubbornness that's messed you up so far is going to really mess you up today. Jesus said, come unto me. I'll take all your sins away. I'll be faithful and righteous to cleanse you. The Lord today wants to write your name in his Lamb's book of life. And he wants to give you not only the gift of eternal life, but a fellowship with him now. And what I'm going to ask right now, those who are standing, and there's many others, I want you to come forward and stand right here in front. Just get up out of where you're at right now, and just come and make your way right now. Jesus said, if you're unwilling to proclaim me before men, I'll be unwilling to proclaim me before my Father. If you're willing to stand before men, I'll be willing to stand before my Father and all the holy angels proclaiming you. There's many others. Make your way right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for touching these hearts. We're going to stand right now, and there's many others of you that need to make this same walk and do this right now. If you would, let's all stand together. Just come right now. It's just going to give it one more second. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within me. Is there any others? Come I now. It all now. For the sake you, of you, my king. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Give him yeah, do right. down my comfort. Giving up my, my heart right. for the God's. If I could have the pastors and elders and their wives come and join, we're gonna need some more down here. Lord, we thank you again for touching so many hearts here today, and we believe you, Lord. You're an awesome God who hears and heals and receives us by faith alone and we come to you today. Years ago, somebody helped me pray a prayer and I was so appreciative. I didn't know what to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer and let it express the attitude of your heart this morning and God will receive you to himself. Let's all as a family pray to make these here at home feel comfortable. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. That you sent your son for me. To be punished in my place. To take away all my sin. I come to you now. Forgive me. I am a sinner. Cleanse me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I submit myself to you now. Your will. Your way. Your desire. Give me grace now to seek you with all my heart. And to love you with all my heart. To have nothing else in front of you. I give myself wholly to you. Thank you for writing my name in the book of life. In Jesus' name. Those of you who come forward, just hang out just a minute. I want to encourage you for a minute. And Lord, bless everyone else who have heard your word and truth today. Do a great, great word of encouragement in all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you go, you've got to find at least one person you don't know. Get their name. Find out what's one thing you can pray for them throughout the week. And then give them a giant bear hug. God bless you. Hope to come back tonight as we'll be starting another new book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus.